Bill Stewart, chapter one. You know what T-Bone told me? He said, David, go to the first page in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to page one. He said, no, no, first page. Well, that is first page. No, it ain't. And so you've heard it over and over. You know, the, the first page becomes the first page, which is the blank page. It's not page one. It's the first page. And I didn't understand that. He helped me to understand that. And so page one, chapter one, Bill's story, kicks off like this. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned. We were flattered when the first citizens took us into their homes, making us feel heroic. That's dangerous for people like us. Here was love and applause. Oh, don't. Oh, man, I get in trouble with that. War, moment sublime with intervals hilarious. I used to read this story and think, I can't relate to Bill Wilson. It was a New York stock speculator, broker, whatever you want to call it. But I have no trouble identifying with it now when I read sentences like this. I was a part of life at last. Anybody ever drank alcohol or do anything and feel like that? Yeah, every time. In the midst of excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warning and prejudice of my people concerning drinking. Time we sailed for over there. Let's look at this sentence and see if we can relate to Bill Wilson. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Anybody ever do that? We landed in England and I visited Winchester Cathedral, much moved. Now, see, I used to think this meant when he went outside. A lot was going on. Cars was flying by. But look at how he words this. Much moved. He's talking about on the inside. Bill had a spiritual experience right here. He did. He said, I wandered outside. This is after much moved on the inside. My attention was caught by the dog roll of an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is near forgot whether he dies by musket or by pot. <clears throat> so a little deeper study into this cathedral experience. One of my friends shared this with me, and I want to share it with you, and this is what Bill had wrote in some of his other writings concerning this cathedral experience that he just briefly touched upon here when he said much moved and I wandered outside. He wrote this. Then we were in dear old England, soon to cross the channel to the great unknown. I stood in the Winchester Cathedral the day before, crossing hand in hand and head bowed for something had touched me. And that's what he meant right there when he said much moved. That I never had felt before. I had been wondering in a rare moment of sober reflection what sense there could be to killing and carnage of which I was soon to become an enthusiastic part. Where could the deity be? Could there be such a thing? Where now was God, the God of the preachers? The thought of which used to make me so uncomfortable whenever they talked about him. Here I stood on the abyss, edge of the abyss, into which thousands were falling that very day. A feeling of despair settled down on me. Where was he? Why did he not come? And suddenly in that moment of darkness, he was there. Any of us can relate to that? My worst day in 2019, emotional sobriety found me that day. I've been physically sober for 
25 years at that point, studied the book, had a good life, had this, but I had a lot of things going on on the inside. And on my darkest day and my darkest hour, he showed up. And that's what happened to Bill here. <clears throat> he said, I felt an all-enveloping, comforting, powerful presence. Tears stood in my eyes as I looked about. I saw on the faces of others nearby that they, too, had glimpsed the great reality. Much moved. That's what he said there. I walked out into the cathedral yard where I read the following inscription on a tombstone. Here lies the Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is near forgot whether he dies by musket or by pot. We're talking about a pot of beer, not a joint. Squadron of bombers swept overhead in the bright sunlight. I cried to myself, here to adventure. The feeling of being in the great presence disappeared, never to return for many years. And as we know, this was many years later, as we're going to see in his story, before that experience ever comes back to him again. And for all of us that have had that spiritual experience, like I had with T-Bone in 1995, that changed my life forever. Something come back, and I wasn't ready for it. And it found me. It found me in sobriety. And it's, as we get sober, other things begin to compete for our recovery. And if we're not practicing step 10, as we're going to see outlined in this book on a daily basis, and watching for those thoughts, they're going to get us. Bad news about all of that is that those things are going to win out, and that's what happened in my life. And it took over for a long, long time. But by the grace of God and the power of God and the sunlight of the Spirit, I found a way out. I found a way out, and I got to recover. It was, it's amazing. <clears throat> so look what he says, bottom of page one. On this warning, which I failed to eat, 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at last. Can anybody relate to this? I fancied myself a leader. <laughs> I do that a lot. Even sober. Read not the men in my battery giving me a special token of appreciation. Anybody relate to this? My talent for leadership. I can see nothing but self and ego here. I imagine, key word, look out for that. I imagine would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I took a night law course and obtained employment as an investor for a surety company. The drive for success was on. Can anybody relate to this? I'd prove to the world I was important. I have no problem identifying with Bill Wilson. <clears throat> My work took me about Wall Street. Little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but I came very rich. Look at this key words. Why not I? Self-pity. That's how I am. Why not me? How come? So let's look over on page three and let's go to the middle of the page. Bill says this, for the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. Look at these three words. Has anybody as an alcoholic or a sober alcoholic ever felt this way? I had arrived. My judgment to the ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. The drink was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. We're going to see how the illness, the disease, whatever you want to call it, begins to move and build the same way that it did in us. And we're going to see how this takes him all the way to the bottom. And he tries over and over and over to get sober. And he seeks out many spiritual solutions along the way. But he doesn't know what the problem is. His mind tells him he can drink. He drinks, just like we did. Tells him he could do whatever he does, and he does it, same as we did. But when he meets Silkworth, this all changes. And Ebby Thatcher comes to see him. So 
Bottom paragraph, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing almost all day and every night. The circumstances, <clears throat> the remonstrance, I ain't even saying that right, but of my friends terminated in a row and I became a long wolf. Anybody get to that point in their illness? Guarantee you a bunch of us did, didn't we? There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. I guarantee there was in my house too. I had an ex-wife. <clears throat> I've had a few of them. They wrote a song one time called Don't Come Home Drinking With Loving On Your Mind. And I think they wrote that about her. Uh, she was mean as any man I had ever met. And man, the things that she done at times when I was drunk was ungodly. I mean, I don't fear hardly no man, but I fear that woman, you know, especially when I was drinking. And uh, so I can relate when he says there's many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for my life, for my wife, for loyalty to my wife, helped at time by extreme drunkenness, <clears throat> kept me out of those scrapes. So in some of his early writings, earlier writings, Lois talks about, you know, finding him at the door many times with just a suit coat on and nothing else. So I don't know, you know, whenever I read this here, there's been no real infidelity for loyalty to my life. So, and so he contracts golf fever and, but page four is where it really begins to start taking over. Let's go to the middle of the page. The next morning he says, this is after he, man, he's lost millions. Everybody did. Abruptly, in October 29, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel to a bar, to a hotel bar from a brokerage office. It was eight o'clock, five hours after the market had closed. The ticker still clattered. Anybody ever sober up the next morning or try to sober up and the ticker still clatter? I know this is talking about something else, but I want to look at this a little deeper than than just these words. <clears throat> he says I was staring at an inch of tape which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were me and my friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the tires of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. So we see that he did the same thing that I would do here. He went back to the bar. <laughs> so my friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day as I drank. That old Pierce determination to win came back. So, Bill, the first time we're going to see that he gets sober, he gets sober on fear. <clears throat> and page five, first full paragraph there. Well, the first paragraph there. I became an unwelcome hanger owner. Here was the golden boy of Wall Street. He had made more money for more people than anybody. I mean, this guy had a talent for talking, for fast talking to slow thinking people. He had a way of getting deep in their pockets and getting money out of them. And here was a guy who was so well-loved in life. And now they're telling him, man, don't come around no more. I mean, you smell bad. You're embarrassing us. You know what I mean? The golden boy is gone. Alcohol has taken that away. And that's exactly what it done to many of us. And he says, i become an unwelcome hanger-on at the brokerage places. And like, man, go on down the street. He says, liquor ceased to become a luxury. It become a necessity. Bathtub, gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly. 
And I began to wake very, waking very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler of gin followed by half, half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I was to eat any breakfast. Look at how we think. The same way he thinks here is the same way that most of us think. Nevertheless, I still thought, key word, because we're going to see how this thinking is really what the problem is, that I could control the situation. Remember, the doctor said, I cannot differentiate the true from the false. That's exactly what's going on right here. Anytime I think this, now that drinking has been gone for 28 plus years, if I still think that I can control any kind of situation or make an outcome come out the way that I want, then I'm believing a lie because I'm not depending upon the power of God. I'm depending upon self, as we will see as we move on. Self is what the trouble is. He said there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. So Bill sobers up a little bit, or just a little bit. Says, gradually, things got worse. <laughs> they always do, don't they? Well, then he gets a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at a low point in 1932, and he had somehow formed a group to buy. He was to share generously in the profits, and he goes on a prodigious bender and, and the chance vanishes. The story is that he had finally pulled himself together a little bit. The guys had watched him, and they said, you know, they called him in. They said, look, Bill, if you do this deal, we'll give you a chance to come back. How many of us have had that chance? <clears throat> and they said, but you cannot, cannot. Now, let me repeat this. You cannot drink. He was like, you don't have to worry about that. Drinking's over. It's done. So he brings in a big deal. They make tons of money. They're all sitting around in a, in a motel, in a hotel room. They're sitting around in a big circle, kind of like we are here, and they're passing around a jug of Jersey white lightning. And it comes by Bill, and he says, no thanks. And it goes around, and he comes by again, and he says, no thanks. And it gets back around about over there to where Jeff is, and his mind says, hell, we ain't never drank any Jersey lightning before. It'd probably be a good idea if we tried some of that. And the bottle's coming on down and on down, and it's talking. And it's like, and all of a sudden, he says, to hell with it. That would be a pretty good idea. And he takes a drink, and when he does, he triggers the allergy, and when he triggers the allergy, he's gone. And so he says, here, then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. <laughs> and it definitely did, and it has for most of us. Well, he woke up. This has to be stopped, and that's kind of how I feel whenever I wake up. It's like, oh, i got to stop this. You know, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> After all the hell has already went by, I've lost, you know, money and everything else. But he says, I saw that I could not take so much as one drink. So he's starting to get a glimpse of it here. I was through forever. Before then, I had written a lot of sweet promises, but I, my wife happily observed but this time I meant business, and so I did. Notice how now he realizes he knows how to differentiate the true from the false. Not before, after. But let's look at some of the sweet promises that he wrote. This was found in the family Bible after he had died. 
When he says he wrote sweet promises to his wife, I just always read that. I thought, okay, that sounds cool. I made a lot of sweet promises to my wife, too. But on October 20th of 1928, he wrote this. To my beloved wife, who has, who has endured so much, let this stand as evidence of my pledge to you that I have finished with drink forever. <clears throat> Remember the book says, with or without a solemn oath. Some of us do that. On November 22nd of 19 and 28, he says this. He wrote this promise again. My strength is renewed a thousandfold in my love for you. That's kind of how I am whenever I'm in trouble. I don't know about you guys, but I know about me, and I feel the same way. <laughs> so in January of 19 and 29, he writes again to tell you once more that I'm finished with it forever. I love you. September 3rd of 19 and 30, he writes, finally, and for a lifetime, thank God for your love. So these were the sweet promises that he wrote about, <clears throat> as he talked about right there. There's always history behind these paragraphs, and we don't have time to go into so many of them, but, man, there are so many. And there, again, if you grab one of those cards, you, you get into the, the YouTube part of it, or Spotify. I mean, this is all more in-depth, but due to time, we have to do what we do. So anyway, he says, Shortly afterward, I come home drunk. Yeah, we always do. There had been no fight. Where was my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way. I'd taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder for such an appalling lack of perspective. And that's the definition of insanity for me right there. <clears throat> An appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Well, I would love to go on with this sentence by sentence, but there's no way we can. So let's go to page six. And we're going to see right here where Bill is really beginning to reach the bottom. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Anybody relate to that? Courage to do battle's not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity, and I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck. Where it was scarcely daylight, an all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale, my weathering nerves were still at last. The Mormon paper had told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. Self-pity. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Jim would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. Page seven. <clears throat> My brother-in-law is a physician. This was a man by the name of Leonard Strong. Google Leonard Strong, Alcoholics Anonymous. You'll be able to read about the brother-in-law. I'd love to go into that. We just don't have the time to. And through his kindness and that of my mother, he was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Now, this was the first time that Bill went to Towns Hospital in New York City under the so-called Belladonna treatment. Google Belladonna treatment. Take a look at that. Beautiful description. That doesn't work. But he says my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, now this is where he meets Dr. Silkworth for the very first time. I met a doctor, a kind doctor, who explained, though certain selfish and foolish, I'd been seriously ill 
Notice the first word, bodily and mentally. See, Bill had never known that up to this point. <clears throat> he said, it relieved me somewhat to learn in alcoholics that the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of the desperate desire to stop was explained. Bill has knowledge now. He thinks he's good to go. For three or four months, the goose gun hung high. I went to town regularly, even made a little money. Surely this was the answer. Self-knowledge. Now, remember, this is the first time that he sobers up. Now, notice the word self-knowledge has a little S in front of self. We're going to want to pay attention to this closely as we go on through the rest of this book. And as I said earlier tonight, I'm not so much interested in self-knowledge, but I'm very interested in knowledge of self because come to find out, this is what's been killing me. You see, all of these addictions are like the flea. I call self the bug. Those fleas change. Addictions change. Notice when we sober up. Some of us get into other things. Some of us fall into lust. Some of us fall into eating a lot. Some of us fall into different stuff, whatever it may be. I need to know that the flea is not the problem. The bug is the problem. Self is the problem. And we're going to look at self as ideas, concepts, attitudes, and false beliefs. We're going to see this when we get to we agnostics tomorrow. Very clearly, it's going to tell me, David, you're not suffering from a non-belief in God. Most of us come to believe in God when we were very little. But it hasn't worked for a long, long time. Why? book's going to tell me that I've lost power. And if I've lost power, who got it? It's going to begin to talk about self. It's going to begin to describe the mental attributes that take place before a relapse. And I'm going to identify with those, and I'm going to start looking at this. What has to change through the process of this work? My thoughts. My thoughts. Over and over and over. Step 10. Continue to watch. Continue watch. Watch your thoughts. Turn your thoughts. Turn your thoughts over and over and over. I'm not a big biblical reader, but, you know, the Apostle Paul, he, he always would talk. Turn your thoughts. Turn, turn, turn. You get to lust. He says, hell, flee. Go. You know, I mean, you've got to get away from the thought. Because if you don't, the thought will pull, pull us into an action, and I will create a hell. And I'll think it's because I'm a bad person. I don't believe in God. My belief in God is not enough. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with self and a little less. And we're going to see a lot of that as we move through this book tomorrow. <clears throat> so Bill says it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. So his mind had to come back at some point and convince him that it was okay for him to take a drink. He says the curve of my declining moral bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital the second time. This was to finish the curtain that seemed to me. Only seemed that way. Doesn't mean that's the way it was. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it all end with heart failure during the DTs, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year, and she would soon have to give me over to the undertaker of the asylum. <clears throat> Her and Silkworth were having a conversation outside of the hallway, and he overheard them. He said, if he don't get help, if we don't do something with him, if we don't put him somewhere, he's going to die, or he's going to waste away. And Bill says, hell, they didn't need to tell me. I knew, and I almost welcomed that idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. Look at how he's going to talk about self here. I who had thought, key word there. Man, we want to watch for those thoughts. 
I thought so well of myself. I thought so well of myself for 25 years now. I'm running all over the place. I'm the man. I help all of you. Come on, let's go. You know, mm, I ain't no good. It ain't good for me to, to think well about myself. I promise. And my abilities, and he says, my capacity to, to surpass obstacles was cornered at last. He says, now was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless possession procession of thoughts who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. Well, now I'm going to think about it. Yeah, yeah, I ain't thought about it before this, but now I'm going to think about it. Man, I can relate to that. <clears throat> there had been much happiness after all. What I would not give to make amends now, but that was over. You see how self convinces us? You can't make amends for what you've done, David. You've hurt so many people, especially her. You <laughs> You really think you're going to be forgiven for that? Nah. Just go ahead, big boy. Suck it up because you're going to have to live with it. Now, I don't know about you, but my God's a hell of a lot bigger than that. And I come to find that out. I did. There was a lot of judgment from a lot of people, but I tell you what, there was one that it wasn't from, and that was her. And she walked through that shit with me. And, uh, man, it was powerful. Well, let's look at where Bill takes the first step. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. Anybody ever feel like that? I had met my match. I'd been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. So the first time he admitted that he was powerless over alcohol and that his life was unmanageable. <clears throat> now, the story behind this story, and we're going to read it here. If you come in in a desperate condition and you take the first step and we don't move on with any of the rest of this, the same thing that happened to him is going to happen to us. Although we have those all God moments, they don't last very long for a guy like me. Self always, always rebuilds itself and comes back and convinces me that it would be okay for me to pull this behavior or that behavior. It may not have anything to do with drinking. But you can bet I'm going to suffer from guilt and shame and remorse over what I've done. And I need something to kill that. I need something to get that off of me. And for me, you know, after years of sobriety, I started turning to other things. You don't have to be <laughs> free from drugs and alcohol to still be disconnected from power. And my God, what a huge lesson that was for me. So Bill takes step one here. And look at what he says. He says, trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Remember back on the last page? He had self-knowledge right there in the middle of the page where he says, he relieved me, that very last two words. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. <clears throat> now he's going to sober on fear. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me a bit. This is the second time. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And on our missed day in 1934, I was off again. And the story is that he caught a ferry. He was sober, and he was going over to see his brother-in-law. They were going to play golf. And so he gets on that ferry, and he goes across, and he grabs the subway, and he, he sees a guy that has a shotgun. And Bill knows a hell of a lot about everything. Well, he definitely knows about shit guns. 
And so he's sitting there and, you know, they talk about this gun for a while. And then Bill starts talking to him about being sober and, you know, how we do. And he tells this man his story. So they get off that subway there in New York and this guy walks into a bar with that gun. Well, now, that wasn't uncommon in those days. Hell, he wasn't there to shoot anybody. You know, he just banged his gun. In. Bill goes in with it. So they said, anybody a veteran here? Well, Bill raised his hand. He's a veteran. They said, one free drink on the house for every veteran. Thank you for your service and all you do. Mine says, you better not turn that down. He grabs that drink without even thinking about it. Puts it in his mouth, swallows it down into his body. Once he does, the physical allergy takes over. When the physical allergy takes over, the mind says, oh, shit. Too late. Bill ends up drunk, never makes it to his brothers. He passes out. Ends up back at the house a couple of days later. Anybody other than me relate to Bill? So he says, the incentive insanity of that first drink on our midst is day 34. I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere. I'd stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, this was the beginning of my last debauch. See, he didn't know that. We don't ever know that. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. Now, Bill's going to mention this fourth dimension of existence many times in this book. But this is the only place in the book that he's going to give a definition of what that looks like. And he says it like this. I was to know happiness, peace and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Why would he put happiness first? Why wouldn't it be usefulness? Why would he put peace there? Instead, it should always be usefulness, right? Well, I can have no happiness or peace, come to find out, until I am useful to somebody else, because that takes me out of self. And when I'm out of self, I'm not thinking about me, I'm thinking about you. And then I begin to start to recover from a hopeless state of mind. So he says here, as time passes, it doesn't end. See, when I drank alcohol, that always ended. I always had happiness for a little while. I even had peace every now and again. And I felt like I was useful from time to time. But I can promise you, it never got incredibly more wonderful as time passes. It got worse as time passed. Bottom page. Bill's bad now. He's in a bad way. He says, my musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. This is Ebby Thatcher. I palisized those words. Charlie always said, man, anytime you see those words, pay attention. He was sober. It's been years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. <clears throat> I was amazed, rumor had it, that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. You see Roland Hazard and the man named Seeper Graves, which we're going to read about, we probably won't have time tonight, showed up where it says two men appeared in court. We're going to read about that probably tomorrow. But Bill says right here, rumor had it he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. Well, Abby had been drunk, and he come from a family that had a lot of money. They were embarrassed by his drinking and the way he behaved. Well, they told him, they said, why don't you go out there to the old summit place, which was their home place, and we want you to clean it up while you're out there, paint it, do something with yourself. Hell, get sober. So he goes out there, and he starts doing that. He puts all his paint up and down his wall. It's pretty. All these pigeons flew by. And you know what pigeons do? 
they started dropping. And it got all over that pretty paint on the side of that house. And it pissed him off bad. And he went in the house and got a shotgun. He came out and he just started shooting everywhere. Well, in those days, they could take you to court and, and lock you up for alcoholic insanity. And that's exactly what they did to him. <laughs> People called the law and they showed up. And it says right here, Rumor had it he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he'd escaped. Of course, we'd have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him, unmindful of his welfare. I thought, keyword, remember, we're going to watch for that a lot, only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered the airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility, the very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. So what happens is these two men show up, and they convince the judge to let him go in their custody. So the old Calvary Mission is where the Oxford groups had their headquarters. <clears throat> and so Ebby's laying there one night, and he knows by now the way to get out of self is to think about helping somebody else. And so he remembers his old friend Bill. And he says, Dan, I wonder if I could go see Bill. And so that's exactly what he does. Look at the next sentence. The door opened. There he stood. Breast skin and glowing. There's something about his eyes. It was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious. Curious. I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's all this about? I queried. He looked straight at me simply but smiling. He said, I've got religion. I'm damn glad that that didn't happen to me with T-Bone. I promise you, if he told me he'd got religion, I wouldn't have been there any longer. Look at what Bill felt the same way. Look at what he says. I was aghast. So that's it. Last summer, he was an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspect a little cracked about religion. I felt that way after coming to a few meetings. He had that story I'd look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, right? But bless his heart. Let him rant. My gin will last longer than his preaching. But here's the true 12 step. Here's the true 12 step call. He did no ranting. In a matter of fact way, he told how two men, two men had appeared in court. Remember, this was a man by the name of Roland Hazard and another man by the name of Seeper Graves. Graves, not Graves, Graves. And they persuaded the judge to suspend his commitment. They told him, let him come with us. I think that we can sober him up. We're finding the cure for this. So they take him to the Oxford group and Abby gets sober. <clears throat> so they told him of a... Uh, they had told him of a simple religious idea. In those days, that was step two. In a practical program of action, that's steps three through 12. Bill knew three things at that point. He knew the problem from Silkworth. Once I put it in my body, I can't stop. He knew the solution from Abby. Once I take it out of my body, my mind's going to convince me to go back every time. Abby brought him that. And Ebby brought him the Oxford Group Practical Program of Action, which we've seen earlier tonight. There were six tenants of the Oxford Group. Bill had three things. He knew the problem. He knew the solution. He knew the pro practical program of action. And Bill recovers. Before this story is out, in the next page or two, Bill recovers from a hopeless state of mind. And it's amazing how this worked. He said that was two months ago, and the result was evident. It's self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me. See, Bill didn't like the simple religious idea at all, no more than any of most of us did. 
if I cared to have it. I was shocked, <clears throat> but interested. Certainly, I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. He said we. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside. Remember early in his story when I read that out of that book just a little bit ago. This is the experience that he remembers now. It comes back again. Thank God it comes back again. It came back 25 years later, but it came back. It came back, and it did for Bill here. I love what he says. There was that proper tempered pledge I never signed. Look up proper tempered pledge. I wish we had time to go into that. We don't. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings is insistent that the Spears had really had their music. and But I can relate to his grandpa. His grandpa right here says, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past and they made me swallow hard. Now, the wartime day in old Winchester for the cathedral comes back. Bill has another experience right here. Boom. And he's fixing to talk about what happens to him sitting at the kitchen table drinking. Don't tell me that you can't have a spiritual experience drinking. Bullshit. We can't. <laughs> and we do. And uh, he did.